And Psalm 33, if you'll take your Bible, go to Psalm 33. I want to talk to you about this thought called the power of the Word of God. Psalm 33, right in the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms. Psalm 33, verse 8. <clears throat> Psalm 33 in verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. You know, there's just something about when, when I don't know if it's the same in your home, but it's kind of uh, this way when, when, uh, uh, when you have children. Who gets the kids to obey usually? I know mom can manage and coordinate and finagle and get more kids to sort of, but it usually takes a dad to come in and say, bedtime. And the kids go, okay. And that is power. And that is missing in most homes because there's only yelling instead of just firm, solid commitment. When God spake, it was done. And that puts an awe to him uh, uh, in our hearts. So, right, this is God that speaks. These aren't, these aren't word, words from men that we hold in our hand. God speaks. And I want to say that 40 years ago when I got saved, this book took over my life. It has had a power unlike anything I've ever studied or learned about in school. I learned a lot about a lot of different power sources and things. But I, uh, when I got saved, I was told I should read biographies, Christian biographies of missionaries and read history books about how the Bible and the effect of the Bible uh, on nations. And I read about revivals that covered the, the, uh, America and England, Scotland, revivals where the preaching of the Word of God just had an effect uh, it saved entire nations from ruin, including and especially England and America. I believe with all my heart, after reading history, that England and America owe their very existence, not to armies or to politics, but to the preaching of the word of God that changed the course of the history of that nation, of both nations. Now, this book that we hold in our hands has untapped power that this world needs badly. It's even power that Christians need badly. It's probably been sitting idle in your house all this week and not picked up much. Definitely all these years that maybe you've been saved, you've not let the Bible loose in your life and in your home. I'm here to tell you that it does great good. The Bible does great good to anyone who has the right mind and the right heart for it. But as I'll show you next week, it will ruin anyone who has a hard heart towards it. This book is a two-edged sword. It'll either help or it'll hurt, but it has power. And you just don't play with it. You just don't sort of treat it with disdain and, and, and uh, neglect it or whatever. It cuts you no matter how you approach it. I pray you realize the power that's in the Word of God is for your good, if only you'd accept it. So um, uh, let me get right into the thoughts this morning because I've got a lot to say. Number one. We're going to talk about the power of the Word of God. I want to say I'm talking about the Word of God. The book you hold in your hand. I know it says Holy Bible on it somewhere there. It is the Word of God. You say, you believe that? Yes, I believe it. I believe it. Not, let me just stop here for a second. I believe it 
not flippantly or ignorantly. I'm not like a lot of faker and fraud ministers out there that use the Bible and read from the Bible, but they don't believe half of it. If I didn't believe it was the word of God, I wouldn't be a Christian. I'm not a Christian because of other Christians. You ever been offended at other Christians? You ever watched other Christians sort of turn you off and turn your stomach? It happens to me. I just go, oh, my goodness. Oh, my. I just, oh, I don't want to watch. I'm not a Christian because of other Christians. I'm not a Christian because of great cathedrals and great monuments. I'm a Christian because I found in the Bible a power that changes me and that encourages me and works on me and does what no other book ever did. Uh, uh, you know, if I, if, if, uh, if I wasn't, if, if this Bible is not true, then we're just animated dirt on our way to a hole in the ground. But we're not. We're more than that. I believe it. And I believe it for three reasons, okay? I'm going to just give you three brief reasons why I believe it. Maybe you believe it for a fourth or a fifth, but these are three basic reasons. The first one is because the Bible claims to be the Word of God. It'd be stupid to believe in something that doesn't claim to be that. <clears throat> 421 times the Bible clearly and emphatically and without question complain, uh, um, uh, declares, thus saith the Lord. 421 times, this is what God says. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Go way to your back. The fifth book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 11. In verse 18. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 11 and verse 18. Therefore shall you lay up these my words. You gotta circle those two words. These my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them. Tie them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. You ever as a kid, you ever hear people, I never did it. Now, my parents did it. They would tie a string on their finger to remind them of something. That's kind of crazy because you tie your string. You go, I don't even remember why that string's on my finger, okay? But they were supposed to bind Scripture on their hands to remind them, oh, yes, and they would change it out. They're supposed to put it on the doorposts or on the walls in their house. It's supposed to be inside and out to remind them of the Word of God. Look at verse 19. And you shall teach them, pass it on, these words to your children. Speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Second Peter now, go to the right. Go all the way to the right to Second Peter 1. All the way to the right, just before Revelation. First and Second Peter, chapter 1. Second Peter, chapter 1, and verse 21. <clears throat> if we'll start back in verse 20. Knowing this first, and you can know it, you can believe it. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. I'm not going to tell you what it means without you being able to go, oh, I see it too. I don't have any authority over you. I just preach what it says. Knowing this first, that the, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, not by their own desire or design. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is the word of God. You know Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, when I get hungry, I want to eat. 
But man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So uh, where's the word? How, how do I find it? It's in your hand. Matthew 24, heaven and earth, Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Those are the words of Jesus. So the Bible claims to be the word of God. I mean, that's the beginning. Secondly, this book has proven itself to be God's word, unlike all other books and writings. A lot of books claim to be true and to be inspired, like the Quran, the Book of Mormon, the Hindu Puranas and Vedas, the Buddhist Sutras, and even Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species. But this book, there's nothing like it. It has over 300 spot-on prophecies I could show you. In the next hour, I could go through all 300 of them, pointing to uh, the four uh, empires that would rise and fall around Israel, starting with Babylon, culminating with Rome. 300 prophecies, all predicted before they ever took place. Prophecies that would tell you about a Messiah. Prophecies that would tell you where he would be born, where he would die, how he would die. Tell you that he would have 12 apostles. Tell you how um, uh, that there would be a, a, a forerunner of the Messiah. We call him John the Baptist. All those prophecies have come true. That's only 300. There's at least 300 more yet to come. 1,500 major archaeological facts that back up the people and the places from Genesis to Revelation. I always enjoy telling the, the story that <clears throat> up until about 1850, when they were uh, digging through a bunch of sand, preparing for the, um, uh, the Oriental Expressway, a, a diversion um, down there. They're building a, a, a train way through um, uh, Iran and Iraq and all this. And as they're digging, they had been mocking England and the English ministers had been mocking, saying, you know what? We can really not trust the Bible because all those places can't be found like Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham was from and stuff. And at about that same time, as all these newspaper reports were saying the Bible is untrue, all of a sudden, as they're digging along, bang, some shovel hits on a mile mark and says, welcome to Ur of the Chaldees. <laughs> Archaeological facts are dug up and found all the time that back up the Bible. They don't say, oh, Ur of the Chaldees didn't exist. No, it did. Um, 2,500 historical facts confirm the events written in the Bible. You know, all these geneticists, you know what they say? They have to say that, oh, we came from monkeys. But the science says, no, no, we had to come from two people. Two people somewhere over in, in northern Africa, Mesopotamia, that area. Anybody who's ever done genetics knows, no, it doesn't work like the evolutionists try to say over millions of years. If this world was millions of years, we'd have population of three people standing on top of each other. It's only been the last 6,000 years. The only reason why we haven't exploded in population is because of all the wars that keep killing people off. Historical facts confirm the Bible. When the Bible speaks of science, it just blows me away because it doesn't just say things like Nostradamus. I mean, it says things real clear, the circle of the earth. The earth is hanging upon nothing. Uh, that you can speak over lightning. We call it fiber optics. Everything it speaks about science is true. This book has proven itself, <clears throat> and I have found it personally to be true. Uh, I found it to be the word of God. No, no, nothing has ever spoke to my heart, moved my heart, changed my life like the words of this book. I have read hundreds and hundreds. I don't know how many books I've ever read. But you know, when I finish reading a book, I usually say, okay, next. 
But this book, as soon as I finish it and I start to read it again, it's as if I'd never read it before. It's fresh and new. It's never the same. This book is, is like no other book ever. I have found it to be not the words of men. I get tired of people. But I never get tired of the words of God. It's true. I found it to be true when I prayed according to the Bible. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord, he'll save you. So I did it. I trusted Jesus to save me, and I found it to be true. He did save me 40 years ago. It was like, <clears throat> it was like um, uh, night and day. It's like, like a chain around my neck falling off. And all I did was follow what God said do. I searched and I researched all the original language. I got 26 different versions of the English Bible there, and I've checked them out. I've got the Quran. I've got the, um, uh, the Book of Mormon. Um, I've got all these things, checking all these things out. You know what I found? The Bible's not only different, it's true. This is the only book, no other book makes prophecy. No other book actually puts its whole veracity or authenticity on the line based on things that it predicts. Revelation 21, go to the right. You're in 2 Peter, go to the right, go to Revelation chapter 21. <clears throat> 21, 5. Revelation 21, 5, and he that sat upon the throne, that's Jesus, said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write, why? For these words are true and faithful. And I find that to be true still today. You know, when I choose to do the right thing and follow God's laws instead of my ways, things happen for the best. That doesn't mean I'm always wealthy, but it does mean I have joy, sanity, I'm safe. It doesn't mean I don't lose things, I don't uh, get old. But I tell you this, I do things God's way and I'm better off than if I had gone my way. Oh yeah, the pleasures of sin may seem good for a little while, but in the end, the price to pay is infinite. When I cast all my care on him, like the Bible tells me I can, I find a peace that passes all understanding. When I read my Bible, I get convicted, like the Bible says it will do, and I get cleansed and I get encouraged all at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like cut, slash, sew up, heal, all in one moment. When I study it, I find it goes deeper and deeper than I can imagine. When I preach it, I see it work in other people's lives. I've proven it to be true for me. This book has power. Now, when we think of power, we think of electrical power, all right? We think of nuclear power. We think of solar and wind power. We think of government power and the abuse of power. But did you know your words have power? Uh, Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18. There are many children who grow up and all they have ringing in their ears are the words of their parents as they grew up. Some of them were encouraged. Some of them were built up. A lot of them were discouraged, frustrated, hurt by words. Proverbs 18, 21, the Bible says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. How you talk and what you say can make a huge gash or make a huge difference in people. They that love it, love the use of their words, shall eat the fruit thereof. Words have power, and that brings me to the next one. God's words have unimaginable power, real power. 
Now, the Bible's not radiating, okay? You don't plug into it. You don't turn it on, okay? You don't need to charge it up. It has no batteries or wires. But as we read that first verse in Psalm 33, verse 8, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. And let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spake, and it was done. His word has power. Uh, go to um, uh, go back to Psalm 33. We were there. Psalm 33. You know what God's words did? <clears throat> we read it, John, uh, Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. How did he do that? Well, Psalm 33, verse 6 tells us. Psalm 33 and verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, huh, just by him speaking, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. I can't make anything by my words except frost, okay, a vapor for a few moments. But when God spake, things happened. This entire universe was made with words. You ever heard the word universe? Uni, one verse sentence. In one sentence, God made everything. Um, that's not religion. That's science. Now, they call it the Big Bang, okay? And, and boy, are they right. But that Big Bang started not 14 billion years ago. It started about 6,000 years ago with a word from the mouth of God. And boy, did it start this world in this universe going. But it didn't just stop there. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. What am I getting at? I'm trying to get you to realize the words on the pages of your Bible in your hand have power. They've always had power. You just don't believe them. You just don't use them. I don't. I love them. I try to believe them. But man, I just, I got to just decide, you know what? This book works whether, whether the world convinces me otherwise. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Look in verse 2. We'll start in verse 1. It says, God, who at sundry times and in divanners, device, uh, diverse manners, spake, there's our word, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son Jesus, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Okay, so the word of God made the worlds. Verse 3, who being the brightness of God's glory, in the express image of God's person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Upholding, holding everything together by his, the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, that's the cross, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty <clears throat> on high. So not only did the word of God make the world, but it holds it together. <clears throat> the only reason why you and I are able to get out of bed in the morning, the only reason why our car starts in the morning, the only reason why this world hasn't disintegrated is because God spoke it and said for it to hold together, and all he needs is a moment where he says, now die, fall apart, disintegrate, and it will. Well, if the car doesn't work, it's time to pray. <laughs> the car is working. Thank God that he's holding it together. He holds us together. He's holding you and I together. That's real power. I mean, I've got electrons flying at 10,000 miles an hour around a nucleus of a... That thing, that's, an, that's an incredible speed, and yet they don't fly off. 
there are atoms that vibrate at such an incredible frequency that they should disintegrate, and yet they stay vibrating. God holds everything together. That's power. Mark chapter 1, I want to take you to a great thought, and that is, it's not just big planets, galaxies, universe, but us. Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> because God's word has an effect on people, on the devil, and on the world, beyond anything we can imagine. I'll say this next week, but uh, when a couple of guys came to um, Ephesus and they started preaching, <clears throat> uh, everybody got all upset and said, these that have turned the world upside down have come here. They're also, how are they, how are they flipping things over? How are they turning everything upside down? Through preaching the word of God. Here, Mark chapter 1 and verse 23. <clears throat> Mark 1, 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, we'd say a, demo, a demon, a devil. And he cried out, saying, let us alone, because Jesus has just walked in the room. Let us alone. What are we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus didn't hit him. Jesus didn't strike him on the forehead. Jesus didn't even touch him. Jesus rebuked him, saying, hold thy peace. We'd say, shut up and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, I mean, there was a fight like you wouldn't imagine inside that man. And when he cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. Remember, when God says it, it happens, doesn't it? Verse 27. <clears throat> and they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. There's power in the word of God. That's why a lot of times when you pray, just say, Lord, just speak the word. Lord, would you just speak into the situation? Would you just speak to the heart of so-and-so? Would you just speak to the teacher? Would you just convince him of his sin? Would you please just help so-and-so speak into their storm? Remember when Jesus is on that boat? He's asleep. And the disciples come up and they shake him and says, don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus got up and what did he do? He spoke, peace, be still. And they quieted down because there's power in the word of God. Now, here's the problem. We want the power to be the word in us. We want the Bible to be a, a, a set of spells and incantations and sayings that I can say. That's not how it works. See, God spoke it. That's where the power is. I'm just repeating it. There's no power. Listen, the reason why people get tired with Christianity is because they want the power themselves. They want to be able to speak into their marriage and fix it. And God says, no, he'll speak into it. They want to be able to say something that will put somebody in their place. That's not how it works. It works when God speaks and he'll put people in their place. God's word has unimaginable power. And it's sitting in your hands. I mean, <clears throat> if you came into church today, uh, you came into your home and you sat down and everybody handed you a stick of dynamite. I mean, you'd say, what is this? This is dangerous. Yeah, the power that's in that stick of dynamite is incredible. The Bible, the, when the Bible uses the word power, it comes from a word called dynamos, dynamite. And the word of God is just something that's got to be 
Turn loose into your life first and into your home and let it change and fix and break things. <clears throat> so what can the Bible do and what does it do? That's where I want to focus because there are hundreds of things the Bible does, and I'm just going to pick a few of them here. I'm going to get to a point, and let me just give you a head start on what we're doing this month. Right? This week and next week, I'm going to talk about what the Bible was designed to do and what it can do and what it probably is already doing. But then I'm going to talk to you about why we don't see it doing it. I mean, you ever wondered why, why aren't people getting saved? Why, why aren't nations getting right with God and, and, and revivals breaking out? I'll tell you why. Okay, because as we understand how God works, it'll terrify you. Because God's word is always at work. It's our heart response to it that determines whether it works in us. But that's just giving you a head start. Let me just start with this morning with what does it do? What can it do if you let it? First of all, it exposes what is usually hidden. Go to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. In verse 9, Jeremiah 17, 9. You probably know verse 9, but verse 10 is really revealing. Because <clears throat> when um, Madame Curie discovered what x-rays could discover beneath the skin, uh, uh, it was a great revelation that they could see inside of a body well, God's been able to do that. God looks on the heart. Man looks only on the outside, but God looks on the heart, and God is able to expose what's in the heart. God's able to expose what you're thinking, all right? Don't you, don't you wish you could know what somebody else is thinking, all right? Um, well, God already knows, and God explains what people think about. God already exposes what's in our hearts. He just opens it right up there. Look at Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful. Above all things, most deceptive creature is not a car salesman. It's the heart of every one of us. And desperately wicked, who can know it? Well, it's answered in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the hearts. I try the reins. I find what you're able to do and what you're unable to do and what you're able to understand. Even to, err, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings, God knows the heart and God reveals it. Uh, what's going on inside of your heart? You want, the, the best psychologist is your King James Bible in time. Now, sometimes you, you, you need help right away, and so you get a pastor, you get a counselor, you get a, a friend to take you through the scriptures and show you what's going on inside your heart. Why am I afraid? Why do I feel so discouraged? Why do I, why do I feel like dying? Why do I want to die? Why, wanna, why do I want to uh, quit my marriage? Why do I want to kill my kids? Why do I, why do I want to uh, go back into sin? Well, you may need a counselor who will just show you in the Bible the answers to what's going on inside your heart. It's in there. The power to reveal what you can't see is in the Word of God. Actually, it describes more than that. It describes your nature. A lot of us, we don't even realize what we're like. We don't realize how we treat other people. We don't realize how we affect other people. And we need the Bible. That's why the Bible compares itself to a mirror. That when you look at it, you need to see yourself. You don't need to see anybody else. You need to see yourself and go, that's what I'm like. That's what my flesh is like. That's, what, that's how I'm treating others. The Bible does that. 
Um, secondly, go to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. It not only exposes what's usually hidden, it convicts us at our heart. It's very humorous. You read along in the Bible and you see somebody preaching and then you see two reactions. One of them, people going, amen, yes, I believe. And the other, I'll kill him. Both ways are the work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And the one, both of them are being convicted at their heart because it cuts. Verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 12, Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Able to get down to the invisible areas, just like cutting up the skin and being able to cut between joints and marrow of the body and is a discerner. It exposes, it understands the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Uh, it cuts through all the fog of our lives, of our politics, and our political correctness. You know what the Bible does? It says what's right and wrong, no matter what day we live in. You know, the Bible doesn't teach just good stories. It teaches truth that is eternal. You know, it declares <clears throat> that a man is a man. And it says very clearly that a woman is a woman. It expects grown men and grown women to get married, not just live together. It clearly states any sex outside of marriage is wrong. It clearly exposes homosexuality as an abomination. I don't make that up. The Bible clearly says what's right or wrong. Oh, but, but politically, you can't say that. I mean, you're, you're on YouTube. Uh, people may see it. People may report you. You can report me all day long. I'm just saying what God says. This book has power. And it convicts. You know, I would know that it's wrong to, to lie under any circumstance, really. I would know this right unless I read in the Bible, thou shalt not lie. I would know it's wrong to covet unless the Bible says thou shalt not covet. I, there are a lot of things I don't know that is wrong until I read it in the Bible. You know, it's kind of funny. Governments come up with all new things. It's wrong to go into a store without a mask. I understand their requirement. Oh, it's wrong for you to go more than five kilometers outside of your home. I understand. I understand. They make up more rules and more laws all the time. Well, I got enough that I'm living by where God made absolute conclusions about what are right or wrong it has power and that power convicts me and says that's where my real wrong is <clears throat> uh, and by the way i have to say this it cannot help you until it first hurts you did you ever hear that before the bible is no blessing until it's first cut you deep and exposed and convicted you and made you guilty because no one gets saved until they need to until they need to be third thing it does it converts you know, a lot of people went to church growing up all their lives and they were beaten to death by verbally by preacher or priest or somebody making them feel guilty. Well, that's only the first half, okay? Everybody does need to feel guilty. Nobody needs to stay guilty. And so a lot of religions make you feel guilty and just leave you there. And that's what the Pharisees did. And that's what churches all throughout history have done to keep their people under their thumb. But that's not what the Bible does. The Bible makes you feel guilty so it can show you hope, so it can show you where you can get free. Uh, go to uh, 1 Peter 1.23. It's our memory verse. 1 Peter 1, 
just to the right from Hebrews, James, and then comes 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. It'll convert you. You know, if you ever just get tucked into this Bible, if you just will read it and just let it speak to you, you will come out a different person. It does not make people religious. You know what it does? It makes you brand new. 1 Peter 1, 23, look at the words. Being born again, all over again. Not of corruptible seed, not like your parents started with you, but of incorruptible by the word of God. You want to be born again? The book's going to have to do it. Well, so-and-so had a dream, and that boy, that didn't save them at all. Well, so-and-so had hands laid on them, and that, that didn't save them at all. Well, so-and-so had lightning strike them. That didn't save them at all. The Word of God and believing it saves a sinner. Being born again by the Word of God. <clears throat> Go to 2 Tim, uh, 2 Corinthians. Back to the left a little bit more. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 17, I hope you know this one. You wouldn't know this if you didn't read in the Bible. But how true it is. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what are you? You're not religious. You're a new creature. God created the zebras. God created the elephants. God created the, the, um, uh, the giraffes. God created the aardvarks. God created... I don't know why he created uh, flies and gnats and all that stuff, but he created everything. But when you got saved, he created a brand new creature. Brand new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, the dead. Behold, all things have become new. See, the book makes you new. How does it do it? By giving you faith. See, where do I get faith? Romans, go to the left again. A little bit further, Romans chapter 10. Some people believe the church will give you faith. Some people believe God just gives you faith as a gift without you wanting it. It doesn't work that way. You know where you get faith from? Romans 10, 17. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing. You got to hear it. And hearing by the word of God. Uh, you want faith? Don't, don't get laying on of hands. Uh... You believe the Bible that you hear and see with your own eyes. John 20. I'm taking to a lot of scriptures this morning because we're learning about the scriptures, by the way. <laughs> John chapter 10. I said 10. John chapter 20. John 20 and 31. John 20, 31. But these are, what's the next word? written okay why was the bible written these are written that you might believe that jesus is the christ you're not just going to make up your mind one day because you feel like it i know people have tried that i've had people come to church they go oh I, I, this feels so good this is so exciting and then three weeks later they're gone because they weren't reading the scriptures they weren't letting the bible guide them they're letting a feeling a buzz direct them the bible says these things are but these are written that so that you might believe the Bible is there to give you faith and that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Uh, remember our, our verse from last month, 2 Timothy 
It says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, all right, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, that knowledgeable of salvation, which is in which is in by faith in Christ Jesus. So uh, the scriptures get you to understand how to be saved so that you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, once you start believing this book, God will guide you to the cross. <clears throat> if you, I don't care if you start in Genesis or Matthew. Now, Genesis is pretty tough to start at because it's so unfamiliar to you. But once you start in this Bible, it will take you to the cross, and you'll see a tragic, unjust death of a perfect man who never sinned, who said, Father, forgive, when he should have said, Father, judge. If you'll read this Bible, it'll take you to the cross where you'll see he did it for you. And if you read this Bible and you'll believe what you read, you'll come to realize all you have to do is ask to be saved. Not by works of righteousness, not by good works, not by money, but by asking. Because Jesus did it all. If you'll just read it, you, you can't be confused. You know what will confuse most people? They'll come to the Bible, they'll read it, and then they'll get on YouTube and get confused out of all, been out of shape. Stick with your Bible. Um, and that's when you get saved, because this book gives faith. Our church, I try to teach people the Bible. Our church can't give faith. Your church can't give you faith. Your parents can't give you faith. I hope they're good examples to you. This book will give you faith, because that faith will convert you. You want, you want God to change your man? You want God to change your wife? You want God to change your teenager or your boss? You want God to change your parents or your Taoiseach? I do. <laughs> Live the Word of God. Live this book. Believe this book. Because God changes people through the Word of God. Now, they may not hear it, but if you live it, if you're a living Bible, they can't escape it. That's why 1 Peter talks about a, a wife who has an unbelieving husband or a husband who's rebellious. And uh, uh, the Bible says she can't win him by nagging him. So without the word, she lives the word and it wins him. And that's the same for everybody. It's through the word. And then it confirms salvation. I like this part. Go to 1 John. You're in the Gospel of John. Go all the way to the right. 1 John, just for revelation. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11. First John 5, 11. You know, it's one thing to, all right, I'm saved. But then the devil will come along and say, well, you're not living it. I've never known anybody who ever, ever has lived it. Oh, well, there you go. You just sinned. You've lost it. You know, I need a Bible to confirm that I'm still saved. I need something to tell me whether I have blown it. And that's what the Bible does. Look in your Bible, First John 5 in verse 11. I want you to watch the words carefully. And this what you're holding in your hand, this is the record, we'd say, the written record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. That's what the Bible tells us. Verse 12, he that hath the Son hath what? Life. So what do I have to do to get eternal life? Get Jesus. And if you get Jesus, you've got eternal life. You don't have to wait till you're dead to get it. You've got it now. If you've got the Son now, you have eternal life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Verse 13. These things, here we are again. What you're reading. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the, Scott, of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have right now eternal life. It's kind of crazy. Somebody says, well, you can lose it. 
Well, it's not eternal then. You ever thought about that? I have eternal life, and that you may just believe on the name of the Son of God. Just keep believing. You're in. Isn't that wonderful? You see, I can try all day to, to convince you you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. You don't need to hear my words, you're okay. You need to hear God's words, it's okay. I took of every la took care of every one, every last one of your sins, Ledbetter. I took care of them. You know, that Bible will confirm your salvation. It'll be some YouTube jockey who will come along there and try to convince you you can lose it. But the Bible doesn't say that. And it gets even better. It changes. It transforms. Go to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 12, but I want you to see from 12 on, verse 18 is the key verse of it, and it's a breathtaking verse. I'll give you the background, starting in verse 12, it says this, seeing that we have such hope, we preachers use great plainness of speech. We try to be as clear and as plain. You say, why do you talk that way, Ledbetter? So that you will understand, so that you will listen, so that it rattles you to the core, so every word matters. I don't want to, I don't want to talk like a politician. I don't want to talk so that you feel like, oh, wasn't that such a wonderful sermon? I didn't hear a single word, but I sure felt good. That's not how we work. Paul says, because we have such hope, in Christ, we use great plainness of speech, verse 13, not as Moses did, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look on the end of that which was abolished. Talking about his face was shining like he had been around Sellafield radiation plant. But it says this, verse 14, but their minds, talking about the Jews and Israel, were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament which veil is done away in Christ. Verse 15, but even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. They can't see that they need to be saved. If they just stick with Moses, they're going to have to listen to Jesus. Verse 16, nevertheless, what about us? When it shall turn, Israel shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is that spirit. The same spirit that was in the Old Testament is in the New Testament. Verse 18, I'm sorry, verse, eight, verse 17 goes on, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's change. There's liberty. It's like being, can you imagine? I read one time of an of a, of a elephant that was captured in Africa. They put it in a, uh, a cage 12 feet by 8 feet, and uh, uh, the, the elephant just was out of control, just was, did not like to be caged up. Well, they thought, well, we'll just leave him in the cage for a little while. While they transported that thing up to some zoo, maybe in England, wherever, ended up maybe in Chicago, wherever it ended up. And in that cage, that elephant was banging away. And after slowly a while, got so tired, would just go forward, three feet forward, three foot, three foot back, banging into that cage, three foot forward and three foot back. Finally, out of great pity, they said, we're not breaking this thing. Let's take it back. They put it back in, in Africa. Dropped the sides of the cage, and guess what that elephant did? Three foot forward and three foot back. That bondage had made it so that that elephant could not imagine he was free. Somebody, nobody spoke elephant, so nobody could tell him, you're free. It's okay now. But there are plenty of people who don't read their Bible. You know what they're doing every day? 
three foot forward, three foot back. They're still in their same bondage. They're still addicted to some cigarette. They're still addicted to drink. They're still addicted, addicted to porn. They're still addicted to their old ways. And they're stuck three foot forward and three foot back. When the Bible says there's liberty, there's freedom. How do you find that freedom? Verse 18. But we all, with open face, no, no glasses, no veil, no nothing in between us, with open face beholding, looking into the Bible as in a glass, what are we beholding? In the pages book, we're beholding the glory and the power of the Lord. And we are changed into the same image. The more you read in this Bible and you see the glory of God, it affects you and it, and it changes you into the same image from glory to a higher glory. You don't ever stay the same. You say, well, I'm saved 40 years. Yeah, the more you're in this book, the more you move up, the more you change right, at least you should, even as by the Spirit of the Lord still working on you. I, I Listen, uh, what the Bible can do, it'll change you. It'll change anybody. But it's not going to happen where you put it under your pillow. You're not going to have it just because, it's not going to happen just because you have it on an app in your phone. It's got to get in your heart. It's got to be something you think about. You ponder, you learn, you listen to, you hear, and you understand, and you obey, and you trust. It feeds and instructs. I'm going to be very brief because there's enough here to last for another hour. But it feeds, and it, and it, and it, um, uh, and it instructs. I'll talk about instructions more next week. Um, Jesus said to, his, to Peter, after Peter um, had uh, denied him, after Peter had gone fishing instead of seeking what he should do for the Lord, Jesus comes by and, catch, you know, uh, they're trying to catch fish and nobody's catching anything. And Jesus said, have you, have you caught anything? And they says, no, no. He says, cast you out on the other side, just like he had told them before. And they did, and they caught hundreds of fish. They bring to the, to the shore, and Jesus says, Peter, you've been a fisher of men. been a fisherman. Now I want to make you fisher of men. I want you to feed my sheep. Not with fish, not with a vocation. I want you to feed my sheep with my words. Matthew 4, 4 says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. You don't find your sustenance, don't find your best food in just bread. You got to eat. But if you want to live, live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Acts 20, go to the left, find Acts 20. Acts 20, in verse 27. Acts 20, 27. Paul says, I have not shunned, I haven't hesitated to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I've told you everything, good, bad, and ugly. Take heed, therefore, he's speaking to preachers. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, put you in charge of, to feed the church of God. I, went, I gave you one guess what they're supposed to use to feed the flock. The Bible. <clears throat> That's why we're known as the Bible Baptist Church. Because all I want to do is say what God says. I just want to teach the Bible, preach the Bible, live the Bible, love the Bible, obey the Bible. Because that feeds people. I got two more thoughts. I don't know how I get time. Psalm 119 verse 9. You know the verse. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How's he going to clean up his life? 
by taking heed, by paying attention and obeying, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. How am I going to clean up my life? God does as you obey. God walks you out of the pub. God walks you away from the pornography. God walks you away from the bad attitude, bad spirit, from the demon oppression. God does it through his word. It cleanses like nothing else. It's like a, it's like a power washer. Now I've seen Scott come and he's got a power washer and he's power washed my back garden twice now over the last several years. And I don't know why, I mean, just gook gets on the thing. I'm not doing it, but gook builds up on there and he turns that thing on and it's white again. The stone comes out and the glory and the beauty of it. You know, the only thing that will get the goop off our hearts, out of our heads, out of our thinking, is the power wash of God's word. But you got to read it. And you got to read it and listen to it. Let it clean you. Um, uh, I wish I could talk. It cleanses. I'll talk maybe more next week. It One last thought. It encourages. It comforts. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4. I love this verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, just before Hebrews. Find a couple of little books there. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18. First Thessalonians 4:18. Wherefore, comfort one another. Sometimes it's nice to get a hug. Sometimes it's nice to be told, you know, you're the best. You're so good looking. Sometimes it's nice to be told. That's, that's the best meal I've ever had. Sometimes, you know, that's all nice. But you want comfort? Look what it says. Comfort one another with these words. You know, just the Bible has a way of just settling the heart. Now, not every page is comforting, okay? <laughs> uh, if you need encouragement, you're going to have to just keep reading. If you hit a, a low spot in the Bible and you say, man, look at David going off into adultery. How stupid. Look at his family. Look at the cost. Keep reading. God fixes David. God still works all things out for good. It'll comfort. Uh, God will open your eyes to the bigger picture. You know, if, if, if there's anything that's going on today, the devil's trying to scare and defeat every Christian. Listen to my voice. But I'm trying to get you to imagine for a second that the TV might not be right, but that God is right. And that all the fear, I know there's some real things going on. But, you know, I know some real or it's not really a word, but I'm going to if, if I need comfort, if I'm scared, if I'm defeated, if I'm worried, if I'm panicking, I can get comfort from God's words because Jesus says, do not fear. Somebody drew this or photoshopped or whatever. I thought it was real cool. Cool. You want a real hug? You want something that just makes you just melt? Get into the Bible and let it hug you. Let it wrap you around with the strength that only the Bible can do. Because God can comfort any kind of heart. There's more. I'll save it for next week. But let me ask you a couple of questions and we're done. Have you made up your mind? Have you decided or whether or not this Bible is true from start to stop? Or do you only believe the easy bits? Do you only believe it? You know, when I was a kid, we always drank orange juice, but we never drank it with the bits in it. Could, uh, don't like the bits in it. The older I got, the more I found out how good the bits were for you. But that's how people come to the Bible. They don't like the bits. They don't like the smooth stuff. We need to determine it's all right. It's all God's word for me. 
You actually say you believe it? Have you even discovered it to be true yet? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. How are you going to learn to trust him without the Bible telling you how? You'll be blessed if you start to do things the Bible way. Do you know, and even an unsaved man, even an unsaved woman who doesn't believe the Bible, if they do things what the Bible way, they'll turn out a better person. It just is that way. By the way, your kids need to know it's true. It's a shame that kids grow up believing their accidents, believing they're only animals, believing that there's aliens coming to, to save this world, believing everything except what is really true. This book has power. Question is, do you want it to have power over you? You'll never know the power of the word of God through you until God has power over you. Did you hear me? Write that down. I will never know the power of God through me until I allow the power of God over me, till he has power over my life. Ask yourself, is there any change in your life since you started believing the gospel? If there's no change, then you didn't believe it. You just sort of said it. Did you know there's a verse in the Bible that says that we ought to seek God's attention? Isaiah 66, 2 says, For all those things have had my hand made, and all those things have been, have been, saith the Lord. But to this man, talking about all the things in this universe, but those things don't get God's attention. To this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and a contrite, small spirit, and who trembleth at my word. Somebody will pick up the Bible and say, Lord, I'm terrified of what I'm going to read, but I'm going to read it anyway. I'm going to let it work. God says, you've got my attention. Can I ask you this? He wants your, can I say this? He wants your attention. If he, if you don't realize that God gave you his Bible, God gave you his word, trying to tell you, I want your attention. He put all of his words in a book so you can read it and ponder it and learn from it and be saved by it. Jesus said in John 17, 14, I have given them, talking to his father, I've given them thy word. That's all Jesus did. And it's all I've done this morning. Will you accept it? The Bible says you can be born again. The Bible says you can be brand new. The Bible says that his mercies are new every day. He starts over with anybody and everybody. Let him start over with you if you just believe it. Father, I ask now that you'd finish the thoughts like only you can in our hearts. Some decisions need to be made. Are we going to resist? Are we going to reject? What's funny is, Lord, the Bible does good to a soft heart but it only hardens a hard heart. And what I said, I'm sure, has turned some people off, turned them away, made them harder. But I know also the same book softens and makes better heart. It's up to the individual how they react. Oh, God. Somebody realized they're on the edge. They're letting the word of God, which is meant to save them, they're letting it make them hard. Because the heart already is hard. Let them ask it and break their heart. And save them. Don't let any Christian in this room say, Lord, I've gotten hard. It's not the Bible has changed. The Bible doesn't need to be changed. We need to change. We need to get back right. We need to confess our hard hearts. We need to get so that this book is fresh, like a like a like water, like a spring of living water. 
Let it work like never before. Lord, we need a revival of the word of God this morning. So bless it may be true in, in, because of what we heard today in Jesus' name. Amen.